Hello, welcome to the Revelatory Power of Christ. This is an avenue to study God's Word, spread Bible truths, and address certain doctrines of the church in order to foster unity among believers. Let's begin. Whether you are a believer or a non-believer who wants to learn, you are welcome. I want to clarify that this is not to condemn, judge, or force anyone to accept a contrary belief, but rather to spread the love and light of the Most High God. I humbly ask you to patiently listen to the end, and I pray that everything that is said here will be by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. I'll be using the NIV and may likely refer to other versions of the Bible, especially the KJV for better understanding. Basically, all versions of the Bible are the same. They are just grammatically rephrased for clarification. All believers should believe in God's ability to preserve His Word because God said that all the nations of the earth will hear His voice and He is not a liar. He instructs us to go and make disciples of all nations, as in Matthew 28 verses 19. The doctrine we're addressing today is the prayer to Mary and to the saints and other believers who have gone on before us. Is this a sin? Is this an asset in the kingdom? Let's see what the Word of God says. We'll begin by addressing some seemingly controversial verses in the perfect Word of God and come to a conclusion by addressing this topic in six segments of truth. Just a reminder, the Word of God does not bring controversy, rather it binds and unites to those who receive wisdom from the Holy Spirit, as in James chapter 1 verses 5 to 6. Does unity mean accepting lies? No. That is why 1 John 4 verses 1 says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. We are therefore called to test any spirit that claims to be of God. I implore you yet again to stay to the finish before coming to any solid conclusion. Our first segment covers Jesus Christ's view on life and death and interceding. Let's start by reading the book of Matthew 8 verses 19 to 22. It says, Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Some versions of the Bible make Matthew 8 verse 22 clearer by saying, Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. This account I just read can also be found in Luke 9 verses 57 to 60. To truly understand what Christ meant here, let us consider his view on death. Let's read from the book of John. John 8 verses 24. It says, I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. Next, let's consider Christ's view on life. We'll be reading from John 3 verses 16. <laughs> this is the ultimate salvation verse. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
from John 3 verse 16, which we just read, we can see that every believer has a certainty of eternal life, no matter how you physically pass on from this world. While John 8 verses 24 clearly states that if you do not believe in Jesus Christ, then you are already dead. If, however, you ever make up your mind while on earth to receive him, then eternal life becomes your portion. Therefore, we can all agree in immortality and that while unbelievers pass on to eternal death, believers pass on to eternal life. We can so far agree that the surviving family of the deceased left to bury him were considered dead by Christ, even though they were physically alive, according to a carnal man's idea of what being alive means. Applying God's wisdom on the central topic, we can rightly agree that Mary, the mother of Jesus, and all the other believers and saints like Stephen, Peter, and many more mattered for the work of Christ are eternally alive. Now let's read from 1 Timothy 2 verses 1 to 7. It says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time, and for this purpose I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, and a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. Paul was the one speaking in that chapter, and we have to note that Paul was one of the apostles who always clarified when something was his own opinion. Therefore, this was certainly the Holy Spirit speaking. In verse 5, he calls Jesus Christ the only mediator, while in verse 1, he calls all believers intercessors. Based on these verses, we can agree together with each other that every believer should be an intercessor. We are all instructed to intercede because it pleases God. To be more practical, most believers ask other believers to pray for them, people they might be acquainted with such as family members, friends, or their pastors, priests, church leaders, or any individual they believe to possess God's anointing. Do you think our service to God and fellow believers end when we leave this world? May we together answer that question by the end of this communication. Let's see another instruction of intercession. We'll be looking at the book of James 5 verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It is clear to us now that if you are a believer in Christ, you are righteous, not by your power, but by the grace of God. And therefore, your prayer for yourself or for any other individual is very powerful. Was the Holy Spirit speaking through the Apostle James to remind us we have power here? Just like Christ told us in Luke 10 verses 19, Christ spoke saying, Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. 
Verifying from God's word, we can all agree that the believers who have passed on are eternally alive and merging it with the instruction of intercession, we can also agree that they are continuing in intercession until the kingdom of God comes and his will is done as in the Lord's Prayer of Matthew 6 verses 9 to 13. Until that happens, our service continues because Christ's service as mediator didn't end just because he left earth physically. There will be a new heaven and a new earth, as stated in 2 Peter 3 verses 13 and Revelation 21 verses 1. So we can reasonably say mankind will be brought to another dimension when Jesus Christ returns. Coming back to the central topic, we can clearly agree from this first segment that anyone who calls upon the saints to intercede or calls upon a truly anointed believer who has passed on is not praying to the dead. However, it has to be in the name of Jesus Christ. Our second segment embodies the importance of Jesus Christ's earliness, the practice of reverence, and why Mary should have a place in the honor room of every believer. Is being the mother of Jesus Christ enough reason to be honored? I'll say yes, but there is more to this. Let us fact check from the perfect word of God. Jesus Christ himself reverenced. He showed humility. We find that even in our early governmental bodies, people who fought for rights like Martin Luther King or presidents who did great things and even certain seemingly ordinary individuals or groups that stood out are very celebrated to this present day. If worldly achievements can be celebrated, why not spiritual achievements? If people who do not know Christ can be reverenced, how much more believers? Most believers say that all glory should go to Christ. All glory does go to Christ. When his children are reverenced, it is in turn glorifying Christ because his glory is shown through you and I. Let's look at intricate places where Jesus Christ our Savior reverenced. We can observe great reverence shown in the baptism of Jesus Christ. Jesus reverenced John the Baptist by letting John baptize him, even though John clearly stated being unworthy. We can see that when Jesus Christ reverenced John and received baptism, it was in turn a form of reverence to the Father in heaven because the heavens opened immediately as in Matthew 3 verse 17. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. It was the first open declaration of Jesus Christ's true voice as God's son straight from the Almighty himself. So the Savior of the world reverenced the human being? Yes, Jesus Christ was a human being as well. The only difference, though, is that he was first and foremost God's only begotten son. We will capture certain levels of Jesus Christ's human nature as we continue, so stay tuned. Let us see another example of Christ's reverencing. Let's read from Matthew 16, verses 18. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Let's give Peter a standing ovation and congratulate him. This was a great reverence and honor from Christ to Peter. Imagine how exciting it is for your Savior to tell you this. It's like winning a spiritual Grammy. Even though Peter was less than him, Jesus Christ showcased the fact that believers are joined hers with him. Jesus Christ lifts people up. He glorifies his children. I pray he will lift us up even as we continue to look into the importance of reverence. 
I'll be reading from the book of Romans 8, verses 17. The Holy Spirit was speaking through Paul, saying, And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. We can all agree that many believers share in the suffering of Christ. Don't some of you have experiences with persecution, affliction, temptations that you can only withstand by God's grace, worldly pleasures that you've abstained from because you are living for Christ? Think how you made it all about Christ, who was the first to make it all about you. Unbelievers undergo persecution and suffering in various aspects as well, but believers have an advantage because just suffering and suffering for Christ are not the same. In the Beatitudes of Matthew 5 verses 10 to 11, Jesus Christ shows care for the persecuted. If you read through the whole New and Old Testament, there are many believers, apostles, and followers of Christ who went through many sufferings. In the end, Jesus Christ always triumphs. We can agree that Mary, as a mother, was one of such people. She was the first New Testament believer once she accepted the wooing of the Father through an angel, which is where the New Testament kicks off. Mary saw her son die on the cross. She knew Jesus Christ's mission, of course, but nonetheless was a person with human emotions and must have experienced a deep pain over the level of abuse her son went through. Having said that, let's observe Jesus Christ's treatment of his mother and brothers from various chapters of the Bible. In this account, Jesus Christ's mother Mary and his brothers came to speak with him. And when Christ was told, this was his response. I'll be reading from the book of Matthew 12, verses 48 to 50. Jesus asked, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and said, Look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. If you look at this from the human eye, it seems like a rude denial of earthly heritage. But believers know the character of Jesus and should look with an in-depth eye. Jesus Christ as a man would definitely obey the Father's fifth commandment of honor your father and your mother. Jesus Christ was simply extending his earthly family tree to all believers. We can be rest assured that Jesus Christ always emphasized his earthliness. An example was the way he often addressed himself as the son of man. It is possible, but I can't say for sure, that it might have been a common phrase at the time to address the children of men. Nonetheless, it should be obvious to us that even though Christ was the son of God, he was also the son of man. That son of man means son of Mary, because Mary bred the human aspect of Christ. And the generic term man is unisex in many Bible accounts, as many believers know. Jesus Christ was not relegating his biological mother or earthly family to the background in Matthew 12 verses 48 to 50. Rather, he was uniting all believers as one family. Without Jesus Christ's earthliness, how would salvation come to the world? I feel like many believers think that acknowledging or celebrating the earthliness of Jesus Christ diminishes his supernatural nature. This is a false perception that shouldn't be found amongst believers. I encourage believers to perceive the truth that Christ's earthliness emphasizes his superiority and supernatural nature and brings us closer to God's promise of eternal life because its attainment has been certified. Let us observe Jesus Christ's true treatment of his mother. 
So the story goes that Jesus Christ attended a wedding at Cana with his mother. <laughs> Jesus Christ, <laughs> he loves weddings. Mary, the mother of Christ, noticed that all the wine was gone. Let's go ahead and read about it. I'll be reading from the book of John, chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. This was clearly a case of interceding. Mary served as an intercessor here to implore her son that by the hand and in the name of Jesus Christ our Savior, his first miracle was performed. By honoring his mother, God himself was honored and Jesus Christ's mission kicked into action even though he said in verse 4 that his time had not yet come. Jesus Christ extends his reverence to all believers and even unbelievers because God says he will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. In Matthew 5 verses 45, he shines his light on the good and the bad alike and will bless whomever he chooses to bless. It is God's choice to map out destinies for each and every one of us according to his will. However, we observe that reverence in a way that gives honor to God directly or indirectly can push you into your destiny. Reverencing can give you speed. In this case, the father favored Mary yet again to become the one that brings about Christ performing his first miracle. The father did this not just to emphasize her value, but the value of all true believers. And she became an avenue to bring Jesus Christ's ministry to life just by playing the role of mother. Was Jesus Christ the first to reverence Mary? Let us find out from God's perfect word. I'll be reading from Luke 1 verse 28. The angel went to her and said, Greetings! You are highly favored. The Lord is with you. The KJV phrases it differently. I read again. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that are highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. This was God speaking because the angel was speaking God's message. Even when a believer speaks God's message, it's God's word, which is how we have the Bible that teaches us to relate with God and all the other stuff that we greatly believe in. Let's see where a fellow human being reverenced Mary. I'll be reading from Luke 1 verses 41 to 45. It says, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is this child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. In verse 33, Elizabeth calls herself favored. But remember, it's the Holy Spirit speaking. So does that mean that the Holy Spirit feels is a great favor for anyone who encounters Mary? <laughs> Seems to me like a definite yes. Even John the Baptist as a baby reverenced Mary in verse 44 with that leap in the tummy. And by reverencing Mary, he was in turn reverencing Jesus Christ. I believe the reason the Holy Spirit had to speak this again through Elizabeth and not an angel was to reaffirm the testimony of Christ's conception and show human beings an example that this woman deserves your reverence. 
Elizabeth reverencing Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit was also reverencing Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit was speaking, so these words are not empty words. If you notice from the angel Gabriel's reverencing of Mary in Luke 1 verse 28, he specifically reverences Mary as a woman, even though she wasn't pregnant yet. Yes, God reverences women, men, and all his lovely people because it is his work through them. Therefore, that reverence is still his. It's obvious that even before Jesus Christ's conception, Mary was reverenced. Should this reverence therefore end after Jesus Christ is born, or does he stop being the fruit of her womb? Does a child suddenly have a different biological mother just because they've been born? To address the central topic, this segment begs the question, can a believer celebrate the earthliness of Jesus Christ outside of Mary? The Father's words showed the answer is no. The Holy Spirit's proclamation showed that the answer is no. Jesus Christ's actions showed that the answer is no. Will salvation be necessary if there are no humans? The answer is no. Even the disciples and saints who have passed on to eternity are continued to be reverenced by God himself and will even judge the world with Jesus Christ as seen in Revelation 20 verses 4. Let's jump into the third segment. Our third segment covers the lack of reverence and the mistakes it can lead to. Let's begin from this account in Mark 6 when Jesus Christ visits his hometown. He is speaking with so much wisdom and preaching God's love, showing great power and authority. Now let's continue from verse 3, Mark 6, 3 to 5. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Where did this lack of faith stem from? The lack of faith displayed by those people in Christ's hometown mostly stemmed from a lack of reverence. They were unable to reverence Jesus Christ because they thought they knew him, his mother, his brothers and sisters. They obviously didn't reverence his mother Mary as well. And that lack of reverence passed on to Jesus despite the fact that he was speaking so much wisdom and exuding authority. Therefore, they missed out on Christ's transformative power at that particular point in time because of faithlessness that stemmed from a lack of reverence. It was and is still so much easier for people who separate Jesus Christ from his earthly affiliations to reverence him. Despite his power, the people of his hometown couldn't believe to receive. As a believer, do you consider yourself to show a lack of reverence? Anyone who cannot reverence the earthliness of Jesus Christ, starting from conception to death, and focuses only on the supernatural aspect of his resurrection and ascending into heaven, is displaying the attitude of the Pharisees and Sadducees whom Jesus addressed in Matthew 12 when they were trying to test his divinity. Jesus Christ said to them, I read from Matthew 12 verses 39 to 40, he answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The Pharisees and Sadducees got the sign they were looking for when Jesus died, and some of them believed because of that when they proclaimed in Matthew 27 verses 54 that Jesus was surely the Son of God. 
To address the central topic based on this church segment, we can by God's wisdom say that if you believe in Jesus Christ solely based on his supernaturalness, then you haven't truly captured his essence, just like the Pharisees and Sadducees. Any believer who shows a lack of reverence to all that pertains to Christ or anything at all that pertains to Christ might unconsciously display a form of disregard which could genuinely be in error. We are called today to celebrate every aspect of Christ. This brings us to our fourth segment. Our fourth segment addresses communing with the dead and more beauty in reverence. This is the story of the transfiguration. I'll be reading from Luke 9 verses 28 to 35. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. This account is also in Mark 9 verses 2 to 7. I first want to address verse 35 of this transfiguration account where God said, listen to him. God also spoke this through Mary in the turning of water into wine at the wedding in Cana when she said, do whatever he tells you. It is important to listen to Christ. We can see how Mary, after God, ushers in very key moments in the life of Jesus Christ. Focusing on the segment, we can see from verse 30 to 31 that Jesus Christ was communing with Elijah and Moses. Verse 28 clearly states that Jesus Christ was praying before the appearance of Elijah or Moses. The exact words uttered were not said, but it was during prayer that Elijah and Moses appeared. And it is by God's inspiration that I can say that Elijah and Moses came to commune with Christ in the spirit of intercession. Elijah and Moses were great prophets and can rightly be called believers as well. They are believers from the Old Testament because many of God's prophets already believed in and prophesied about the coming of the Messiah. Also, believing in God at the time was believing in Christ because Christ is one with the Father, as he said in John 10 verses 30. If Christ can unite in the spirit of intercession with Elijah and Moses... How much more believers who actually walked and talked with Jesus while he was on earth? The chapter states that Christ's death was near as well, and this communication between Christ and the prophets might have been a part too. Just like Elijah and Moses, Mary and all the saints are not omnipotent or omnipresent. Angels are not either. Only God is. However, when called upon in the name of Jesus Christ to intercede or interfere, as you would ask any believer you believe to be anointed and true, it is in love, duty, and service to God through Christ that they will. 
To unite this fourth segment with the central topic, let us repeat again with very great proof and clarity that believers who have passed on are very much alive and active and that Jesus Christ himself supports this communication as long as it is in the name of the Lord because he engaged in something similar. It's always beautiful to start a prayer by saying, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, as we are instructed in Matthew 28 verses 19, for baptism, which says, go and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Because whatever you say after this, it's clearly in the name of Jesus Christ, who is the Son, and you as well did not neglect the Holy Spirit. This is done, and rightly so, before any prayer is said in many churches. If it isn't a culture in your believer's circle, you're encouraged that it should be. Our fifth segment is a very huge portion of the central topic. We'll be inspecting the Hail Mary prayer. Please, listeners, look at your device screen. The first line came from the angel's exact words of Luke 1 verse 28 of the KJV. But the name Mary was added after the hill. The second line continues with the exactness of part of what the angel says and what the Holy Spirit says through Elizabeth in Luke 1 verses 42 of the KJV because the angel and Elizabeth said the exact same thing except that Elizabeth adds, blessed is the fruit of your womb. The last two lines were added by the Orthodox Church. It is also a request for favor, just like Elizabeth ascribed in Luke 1 verses 43, but this time it is for the favor of intercession. People often misconstrue the word pray in the Hail Mary, but it simply means intercede. Let us address Mary being called the mother of God. Believers can all commonly agree that Jesus Christ is God. He is the I am. He is one with the Father. Coming down on earth did not change the fact that even though Christ became man, Christ is God. Study more about this from John chapter 1 verses 14. Christ had the supernatural genetic makeup of the Father. Christ also had the human genetic makeup of his mother Mary. Pray for us to the Lord our God simply means pray for us to Jesus Christ who is the mediator. Acknowledging yourself as a sinner also shows humility, therefore reverencing the fact that it is only by God's grace that a believer is righteous. So I believe through faith and sound judgment that the Hail Mary is perfectly written. However, I leave it to your own discretion. Let's go on to the sixth segment. In this sixth and last segment, I will address repetitive prayer. A lot of believers commonly ask the question, but why repeat this prayer over and over again? Please carry on. We observe as believers that a lot of things are repeated by each and every one of us over and over again, and rightly so, because believers are called to imitate Christ as in 1 Corinthians 11 verses 1. So even saying the exact same words of the Bible in prayer is imitating. Also, praying or worshipping from the heart in a manner that Jesus Christ taught is truly beautiful because even though Jesus Christ gave us a prayer, he was also giving us a pattern for prayer. God can do anything again and again. He can always do something new. Let's see what the Bible says about repetitive prayer. Matthew 6 verses 7 to 8. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. The KJV makes it clearer by stating, But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard, for they are much speaking. 
be not ye therefore like unto them, for your father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. The key word in those verses is vain repetitions. Repeating something that stems from the spirit is not vain. If you call the Hail Mary prayer vain, it would mean that what the Father said through the angel was vain and what the Holy Spirit said through Elizabeth was vain. God's word is not vain and therefore can be repeated. Also, a truth from God's word, even if not spoken in exactness, but conveys his solid will can be repeated. You can see when David worships, he's saying, Lord, your love is eternal, and he's repeating it over and over again. It's such a beautiful ad because it stems from the spirit, so there is no vanity in it. Also, Abraham asked God about Sodom and Gomorrah over and over again in intercession because he cared. I will address what main prayer is in another video. If interested in more Bible truths, please subscribe to this channel and stay tuned. Let's continue. Let's consider Matthew 28 verses 44. I read, So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time saying the same thing. We can see that Jesus Christ repeated the same thing three times. Yes, Jesus Christ himself, Jesus our Savior. This is just one aspect of when he prayed and repeated something three times, but Jesus Christ was always praying. My fellow believers, is it possible that there were many other times he had prayed and repeated the same thing four times, five times, six times or more? I would say yes, but I leave it up to you to decide. Whatever Christ says can never be a vain repetition, even if it is said a billion times or to infinity. It carries deep meaning, power and authority to heal, transform, bless, inform, educate and refresh. It is a very beautiful act. Repetition in prayer, worship, and reverence is a strategy in the kingdom. When it is said pray without ceasing and you're praying, you're fasting, you're repetitively saying, Lord, bring these people to you. Lord, gather your children to you. Lord, gather your creation to you. And God answers. It is the same thing with the Hail Mary. It is a strategy. Praying to Mary or any of the saints for intersection is not compulsory. It is a strategy rather than the way because every believer must go through Christ. Jesus Christ is the only way, the truth, and the life as stated in John 14 verses 6. Calling on the God of Mary or of the saints is just like calling on different dimensions of God. O God of Jacob, O God of Joseph, O God of Esau, O God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, O God of Esther, O God of Ruth, O God of Israel. Why not O God of Mary, O God of Peter, O God of Paul, O God of Timothy? God is pleased because he remembers all his great works through the souls. It's funny how people reverence their earthly mother. There is even Mother's Day to celebrate this worldwide. But many believers have never for once reverenced their Savior's mother. Reverencing is an expression of love. I don't know about you, but if someone reverenced my mother or father or sisters or brother or any of my loved ones, I'm always very pleased. I can bet Jesus Christ feels the same way about all of us. How much more his mother? Mary was no ordinary woman. She was chosen for this special assignment of ushering Jesus Christ into nearly every earthly journey. I can't wait for the revelation of her role in the return of Jesus Christ. Let's add that Mary was also one of the first people to know and spread the saving grace of Jesus Christ's resurrection, even before the apostles. Having considered that Jesus Christ communed with Elijah and Moses, and that all believers are eternally alive, 
to bring this last segment to a close and sum everything up, all believers should boldly say like I do now, that if you ask Mary or any saints or fellow believers to intercede, it is a wonderful honor and expression of love to one another and to God as well, because all glory belongs to him. He is blessed when his children are blessed because he lives in us. We can see that everything spoken here is very much in line with God's word and should not be up for condemnation because nothing in God's word condemns it. I would like to make a final conclusion by saying that we've discovered the truth about the Hail Mary or reverencing of her and prayer to the saints. The truth is that it completely aligns with God's word and is a very strong strategy, not an instruction. Therefore, it is the choice and at the discretion of any believer to choose by faith in Lord Jesus Christ to honor a fellow believer, thereby honoring God through unity in prayer. For the Bible says, where two or more gathered in his name, he is there. And Luke 20, 38 says, he is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. For to him, all are alive. All God's children are alive. Hallelujah. Everything concerning this is up to you for a final decision. Jesus Christ remains the way, the truth, and the life. He is blessed when his children are blessed because he lives in them. Hello, I'm back. Uh, so we're done with this uh, section and we've come to a conclusion. I hope that the Holy Spirit uh, will give us all understanding so that we can spread the love and light of the Almighty God. So if you want to give your life to Jesus Christ or dedicate your life to Jesus Christ, I encourage you to study more of his word to continue to love him. And please, uh, you can go ahead and say this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for choosing me this day. I ask you to please take me and make all of me yours. Forgive me all my sins. I believe that you died and resurrected and I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. I trust you, dear Jesus, and from today, I choose to move forward with you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Bye. Catch you next time.